today's message. How many struggle with forgiveness? Anybody? Let's be real. All of you that, all of you that ra- didn't raise your hand, I'll forgive you for lying. Because that's the truth. Because I keep it 100. Uh, we all struggle with it. Come on, let's just, let's tell the truth. We struggle with forgiveness. It's not easy. But it's important. It's very important. If we don't get this down, you will struggle with your walk your whole life. You'll be like, man, I'm so good. I got this. The Lord's speaking to me. I'm growing in my faith. And then we're going to be like, where's so-and-so? They were here yesterday, and they ain't here today. And then we'll see in three months, well, I've just been struggling. Okay, like with your health or, no, it's me, it's me. That's what they always say, it's me. (laughs) It's forgiveness. They don't know how to forgive. They don't know how to let go. I think maybe this is after reading this passage. Of course, we go, if you're new here, we go through the Bible. We pick a Bible and we, we preach through it. I don't preach topically. I preach whatever topic is in the text at that moment. Um, but when I read this passage, I thought, man, that's a tough topic. It really is. And it's tough if you're not honest with yourself. So I just, I pray that you're honest with yourself this morning and that you can kind of dig in a little bit. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and let you know ahead of time. I'm going to give you a new perspective. I'm going to go ahead and say that with confidence, that I'm going to give you a new perspective on it. Because Jesus gives a new perspective on it in this text. And maybe you've seen it before, but I hadn't. So come to this with an open heart and open mind. I'm going to give you some illustrations, some things that I think will really allow it to resonate in the corridors of your mind. And hopefully, prayerfully, you'll be different today after, after we read this passage together and kind of expose how we are to forgive. Let's go, Lord, in prayer, and then we'll jump in. Father God, we love you. We thank you for your goodness and your grace. What a great day to be in church. We call this the Lord's Day here in our culture, Father. We set it aside the first day of the week, Father, to meet with you and you to meet with us. And Father, you have met with me. I feel your Holy Spirit in this place. And Father, we're thankful for that. We're grateful for that. We don't take it for granted. But Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would do its, its floodlight ministry on the word of God this morning and that we would all walk away different. In Jesus' name, amen. Take your Bibles, turn to Luke, Luke 17, verse one. We're gonna read 10 verses. And then we're going to talk about the story here. Luke 17, verse 1. Man. Luke 17, 1. Then said he unto his disciples, it is impossible that offenses will come. I got to read that the right way. Then said he unto his disciples, it is impossible, but that offenses will come. (laughs) Just the way I read it uh, didn't didn't translate the first way. I'm telling you all, this is going to be difficult for me. It's impossible, but that they're going to happen. In other words, it's going to happen, okay? Uh, But woe unto him, this is intense, but woe unto him through whom they come. He's talking to his disciples here. Did you see that in verse 1? Then said he unto his who? So he's talking to those that are doing ministry with him. Listen, we summed up last week a three-week study. If you weren't here for it, missed a week, go back and listen to the messages. But 
I mean, we talked about hell last week, hardcore. Listen, get, get saved. Don't go to hell from here. But, but this week, I'm talking to you disciples. I'm talking to those that have put their faith and trust in, in Jesus Christ. And you say he's my God and I'm going to serve him. I'm having that conversation with you today, okay? And I'm going to tell you, just like Jesus said, it's impossible for us to not have problems with each other. That's what he's saying. Verse 2. It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he cast it and he cast it into the sea. Then he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves if thy brother trespass against thee. Rebuke him and if he repent, what are the next two words? Forgiven. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, And seven times in a day, turn again to thee, saying, I repent. Thou shalt, next two words, forgive him. And the apostle said unto the Lord, what are the next three words? Increase our faith. Okay. And the Lord said, if ye had, if, right? If ye had faith as a grain of a mustard seed. See, once again, I I don't mean to interrupt myself here, but. Once again, we talk about context. If you just had faith, the grain of a mustard seed, right? Let's put context to that. What's he talking about in this passage? Forgiveness. Ye might say unto the sycamore tree, be thou plucked up by the root, and be thou planted in the sea, and it should obey you. So really, the big, monumental, crazy things that it takes faith in our life to do really aren't necessarily about things or places or events or finances. It's really about people that are really difficult things to handle, that we need God to increase our faith in. But which of you, having a servant, this is him giving context around it, having a servant plowing or feeding cattle will say unto him by and by, When he's come from the field, go, sit down to meat. (laughs) And will not rather say unto him, make ready wherewith I may sup, and gird thyself and serve me till I have eaten and drunken. And afterward thou shalt eat and drink. Doth he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I trow not. I think not. So likewise, ye, when ye shall have done all these things, what are you talking about? Which are, next two words, Commanded you. Say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. That which was our, what is it? Our duty. It's not reasonable, I'm sorry, it's not unreasonable for you to think that if you're hiring someone that they are to do their job. That's what Jesus is saying. If you're paid a wage, and and we can really get wound up about these things, about servanthood, slavery in the text, and we have to identify what is cultural in that time period. And many times, those that were enslaved were treated much better than those that were not. Those that were enslaved in this context, and yes, there, there are uh, moments and times where they were horrible to those that were servants of theirs, and Scripture condemns that. Scripture ends slavery. The way, this, this book will fix the problems that we've dealt with in the past and in our present. But 
in this specific context, what Jesus is referring to is when there is a healthy situation, more of an employee-employer relationship, it's reasonable for the employee to do what the employer is asking him to do. That's the context, that's the spirit in which he's conveying this thought. So in other words, what I've just told you about forgiveness, it's reasonable. It's not unreasonable, and all of you should be able to do it. Does that make sense? Now, let's dig in here. Let me ask you this question, okay? I really, I like questions. Are you part of the problem or the solution? I hope so. But in looking at this text, look at verse number one. Then he said unto his disciples, woe unto you through whom these offenses may come. So there are those that are part of the what? Problem. So we have to ask ourselves. That's what we should do. Ask what? Ourselves. Not, I know her. She done been causing all kind of offense. (laughs) That's not the appropriate thing because this passage in verse 10, Jesus lands the responsibility on who? Us. We are to serve him. We, in this grand scheme of things, were twofold the child of wrath and have been adopted into the family. Jesus paid our way. We are now in reasonable service to him, our master. Right? So, let me ask you a question. Are you a part of the problem or the solution? Hopefully the solution. Jesus, in talking to his disciples, we're going to highlight this conversation in a few ways. Disagreements are going to happen. So, think about this. They are going to happen. And there is a right way and a wrong way to handle them. Maybe this is a little educational for you. Matthew 18, verses 15 through 17, talks about church discipline. So I'm giving you a little bit of background, not just the fact of forgiveness in in its topic. I want to give a broader stroke for us in this context. So in his context of the disciples, what Jesus instituted to uh, perpetuate, to continue the gospel was the church right? The church, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. So when we come and gather and God ordains elders, people in the church to lead and minister in prayer and in the word, we have rules that guide us in that context. And so for me to just say, hey, individually, this is an issue, this is a problem, and are you a part of the problem or the solution, would be a miss for me to not address it corporately as well. Because there are problems and things that arise, and we're a young church, right? Three years old almost. We haven't had, we're close to it a couple times, but we haven't had any real big church discipline issues. But I'm not saying they won't come. And if there is an offense, Jesus said it's better that you go kill yourself than to offend what I believe in this passage is talking about the least of these, the little ones. Those are small in the faith. According to the context, it would be those that lack understanding. So there are situations in our church context that some of you that know more are going to offend those that know less. And there are ways that Jesus tells me as the leader of the church to deal with that biblically. Whether it offends you or not. Why? Because it's more important that the work of the church continue than you continue. And he says that explicitly. It's better that you hang a millstone around your neck and go jump in the water. Why? Because your eternity is secure. (laughs) But this life is not for these little ones that you're offending. Which is why I go back to say that there are those sometimes that are a problem, and I identify that. And I look at you and I say, hey, you're a problem. You're an issue. Or I look in the mirror and say, like I do every day, you're the problem, bro. Chill out. (laughs) Put your flesh in subjection, right? 
So, I, I don't want to just handle this, and I think that it's important for us to learn these things, right? Some of you are new to this context. You're new to the church. So you need to understand that there are corporate implications as well as individual implications when it comes to the gospel, okay? Here's a corporate implication, Matthew 18, 15 through 17. I would call this church discipline. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. Honestly, if we were just to do that one thing, that first step right, it would solve 99.9% of church issues. There's a biblical way to deal with rifts in the church. Go to that person, tell him alone. And if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy what? Praise the Lord. But, (laughs) if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. Well, I said this, and then he said this. You're not following the biblical model. He obviously rejected what you said. Now go bring two or three others and say, let's talk about it, so that every word may be accounted for. There's a lot of wisdom in this, because it's the Bible. <laughs> okay, <laughs> verse 17. I'm just keeping it 100. And he's, I'm going to say that at least 10 times today. I don't know why. It's just right there in my mind. And he shall neglect, and if he shall neglect, woo trying to see, and if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the what? Corporate. But if he neglect to hear the who? Let him, thank you, tell corporate. (laughs) Let him be unto thee as a what? Heathen man and a publican. In other words, let him go. I got a problem, let's talk about it. Oh, you don't want to hear it. Here's a couple more guys that are mediators in this situation. They're not necessarily on my side. They're not necessarily on yours. They're here to hear the whole matter. Oh, you still ain't going to hear it. I'm going to tell the church. The church is going to respond to you, and if you don't respond to the church on that level corporately, so obviously there's some implications that the church would agree with one or the other, scripturally. And then from there, we're going to say this isn't working out. Let's part ways. Why? Because this passage says that there are little ones. There are people that don't get it, that don't understand it, that are young in the faith, and that they will be harmed if these things aren't followed biblically. So church discipline, when it comes to forgiveness, there is a path, there is a way to deal with things. And some of you, how many of you have never heard of that church discipline before in your life? You've never heard of it. Come on. A few. All right, we keep gaining every, every like tenth of a second that goes by, more hands come up. How many of you have never heard of that church discipline before? All right, good. So there's ways and there's paths for us to handle things. Okay, so we want to talk about the right way, right? The right way. Let's go back to our text, Luke 17. This is some good stuff, okay? Here's, here's where I think that we'll be able to give you some tools. Now, I hadn't necessarily seen it this way before. I had heard of church discipline. I have experienced church discipline. I have been involved in church discipline before in previous churches. But uh, the way that I'm seeing Jesus talk about forgiveness and these offenses here, I want to give you some tools. I want to give you some some background and, and, and maybe some context some scripture for you to handle it, hopefully the right way the first time. Remember, in church discipline, he says, listen, 
when there's a problem first, go to that person, right? So if I can give you some tools to help you with that, how many of you really struggle with that? If you have a problem with someone, you would rather not go confront them and let it go. How many of you, that's, that's you? Okay, I get it. But the problem with that is that it doesn't get fixed. Not only does it not get fixed in you, and you got a, a hitch in your saddle from that point on, you now have what is called a root that can grow and spring into bitterness. Every time you see that sister or that brother, you're like, oh, God bless you, God. <laughs> We all know it's been years since you guys were over at each other's house every week. And it's been years since you have had them over. You haven't gone out to eat. Your kids don't talk to their kids. You know, it's funny. Like, kids, right? We really want to know who has a problem with who. Are their kids talking to each other? You know what I'm saying. Those are the mirrors of what's going on in the home or the children. But if I can help you, if I can give you some tools, how many feel like you need more tools to deal with that first initial interaction? That's right. Maybe, maybe today I can do that for you. I know this was helpful for me. So let's look at our text. Go to verse 3. We've set the context. Take heed to what? Yourselves. Okay, so now you personally take heed. If thy brother trespass against who? Thee. If you got a problem. If thy brother trespass against thee. What's the next word? Rebuke him. I want to talk about that word rebuke for a minute. Here's the right way to handle it. That one word rebuke. Here's what I didn't see. It really means to put a price on sin. It means in the Greek, like when you elevate that word, it means name the cost. It means almost like award it something. There's this feeling of I need to reward you for that action. I need to put a price tag on it. Rebuke. Now, when you think rebuke, what do you think? Huh? Get behind me, Satan. That's what Brandon said. Rebuke the devil and he'll flee. Which, is this the context of that word? Rebuke them so that they'll what? Is that the context? The context is rebuke them. Rebuke, and if he repents, what? It's reconciliation. The point is not for you to go two separate ways. The point is for you to what? Come together. Don't know why that came to my mind. (laughs) I have no idea. The point is for you to come together. (laughs) I'm a hot mess this morning. But when you think rebuke the devil, I see sin and I'm going to name it and I'm going to rebuke you. Get out of my life, husband. Get out of my life, wife. Wait a minute. (laughs) You may be right. But is that the path to forgiveness? But how many of you take that path often? I'm just going to tell it like it is. Just like I tell the devil. The devil's using you. If I had a dollar for every time I heard that, the devil's using you, I think he indwelled you. (laughs) Coming at me like that. Before I've had my coffee. (laughs) I'm just saying. Like this stuff is applicable for husbands and wives. Can you feel it? I can feel it. I felt it this week. See, the thing is, is when I read and study, I don't know if she's in here. I hope not. Oh, she is. Doggone it. Because <laughs> I know she don't listen to the podcast. If she ain't in it. 
I get all these goodies and I don't share them. You know what I'm saying? Just so that I can say, you ain't biblical right now. Just, t- just telling you, woman, you ain't biblical. Rebuke. Let me help you with this. When you go buy a house and you are pre-approved for an amount to spend on that house, you still need to look at your budget. The budget determines whether or not you will be able to pay for that what? For that bill. The budget is the detailed rebuke that tells you what your sin is going to cost you. You want to buy that house? But you aren't going to be able to pay or afford it. So let me walk you through it. Maybe you're a new couple. You got married. You've been renting for a while. You're in an apartment. And you say like every other couple, I really want to buy a house. And then the guy's like, "Uh uh-huh, sure. (laughs) That's a lot of stress. That's a lot of responsibility, right? So you start saving. You get a bank account, maybe 3%. And you're like, okay, maybe we could qualify for an FHA. Maybe I got 3.5% of what our total cost is so that I can go in and I can put down that down payment and I can purchase that house. So you go to the bank and they say, and they say, I'm telling you, (laughs) they say to you, what are you talking about? You're pre-approved for $3 million. (laughs) Right? I'm, I'm just being facetious. But they give you these crazy numbers that you're pre-approved for more than what you thought you could what? Afford. I mean, they don't care. They're just, and this used to be worse, right, than it is today. It was 2007, and you're like, yeah, I can afford it. What percentage to ratio is your income to this house payment? 99%. I can afford it. (laughs) This is going to be great. Look, honey, look what I bought for you. We won't be able to eat for months. Here's the local food banks. <laughs> but the, the point is, is that you get pre-approved and they tell you, look what you can go buy. It's up to you to draft a budget. It's up to you to look at the facts, look at the details of what that house is going to cost you. Whether or not you should sign on the dotted line to accept it or reject it. Let me explain to you what rebuke means. It means to put a price tag on. Stay with me. It means when you see someone trespass against you, they have an issue with you. Maybe they don't even know it. You go to them and you rebuke them. You go to them and say, your actions are going to cost this. Here's the budget for your actions. Here's the detail of what that is going to cost you in your relationship with me. That's what rebuke means. To award a price. To define and fix a cost. Get behind me. That's horrible. What are you doing? And that's what causes young people to go do stupid things when parents react that way. That word rebuke. Y'all been taking that to the bank a long time without actually knowing what it means. It means to sit down and have a conversation about the facts. It doesn't mean to holler at it. So we think about the budget being a detailed rebuke that tells you what your sin is going to cost you. And then think about this. 
When you look at a young person in their 20s and you say, okay, let me see your budget. And then they look at their budget and they go, you're right, that's a little bit heavy. I'm not sure that I can what? Afford that. I think I'm going to, number two, repentance. Take heed unto yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he, what's the next word? Repent. Only Miss Tanya is listening. And if he what? Repent. Only 20% of you are listening. Repentance is this. Change the mind. Watch this. Back out of the deal. Feeling there's remorse in that. I feel sorry. Watch this. There is pleasure in sin for a season. Do you understand that every young person wants a million dollar mansion and every parent looks at them and says, you can't afford it. Every parent looks at them and hopefully prayerfully says, I'm going to explain something to you. They say you're pre-approved. The devil is selling you a bill of goods. He's drafted up a pre-approval letter and you think you can play with that sin. You think you can dabble in it. You think you can maybe look at that pornography and you think your marriage is going to outlast it. You don't think you'll pass that generational sin along to your son. But let me explain something to you. There's bad debt that you can get into that's going to go to your family you can keep signing those contracts and those checks are going to bounce that's how sin works and if we had more financial advisors looking at those from a seasoned lens saying let me explain to you on paper how this is going to play out you're going to get pre-approved you're going to sign for the full amount and you're going to be strapped Rebuke is saying, go ahead. I want you to understand that that sin has offended me. I love you so much. But if you keep doing that, if you keep down that track, we're going to have to part ways. I'm not going to be able to call you my friend. In fact, I'm going to have to go get some others to work this out between us because this is so egregious to me and I just can't see you taking on that debt. You see, the pleasure in sin is just for that season. Go ahead and have a welcome home party. Go ahead and think that it's okay to steal. Go ahead and think it's okay to walk down that road where you know you're doing things that are against the budget. You're going to pay. And when the bill collector comes, the accuser of the brethren, you're going to be broke. Rebuke looks so much different in the Bible than it does in our minds, doesn't it? How much more passion do you have when it's your child, a relationship that you have fostered, and you know in your mind, you just know that that house, that that lease that they're about to sign is going to completely wreck them. But then here's what we say. Well, they have to experience it for themselves. You know what that is? That's a cop-out. That's you going and whining and crying because... You haven't built in a relationship where they'll sit down and listen to you at the table. You know, as a youth pastor for quite a many years, I watched parents over and over and over again with these horrific cop-out statements. That's just how I parent. No, it's not. 
that's a bad way to do relationships. You have no relationship built. You don't have a bank account of love built up that you can withdraw from. Man, rebuke looks so much different. But, 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 if you get the rebuke right, repentance will follow. If you can paint the picture and you can show them, son, listen to me. Let me help you with something. Or coworker, listen to me. I love you. Maybe you're new in the faith, which is the context here. I've been there before. There were times in my life where I chose to make decisions that cost me greatly. Look at your budget. I've been in the faith a little while longer, and Scripture tells us detailed how to live and how to work this out. And then they change their mind, which is what the Greek word is implying in repentance. Almost, they, they go like this. When, when you don't get that house that you want, it's almost like, oh, I really wanted it. Right? All of you, you know, when you went out to buy that Maserati last week, and you're like, doggone it. It's just a few points off on the interest rate. It wasn't the right deal. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but when you see something that you want, and you have to say no to it, you know there's a little bit of pain there, isn't there? A little bit of remorse. But it's better to feel the pain up front than to be locked into that pain for a lifetime. But what's the problem? Y'all are letting people intentionally walk in and sign contracts on their sin, knowing that you could prevent that heartache Knowing that if you would just man up and rebuke a little bit. Knowing that if you would just sit down and say, let's look at the budget. A little bit of accountability. A, a little bit of relationship equity where you go to them and say, let's talk about this. Let's get a coffee. Oh, God forbid you have to uh, manipulate your schedule a little bit and, and make time for someone else. Relationships are hard work. But how many people would we save from that long-term contract that takes them out of the will of God for the life, and we would be able to lead them to repentance, which means to change their mind on the deal. Don't do the deal. Don't buy that house. And that came after you showed them the facts, not just like, I mean, we all know the Debbie Downers, right? We all know who those are in our lives. That deal never makes sense, right? They're gonna say no to everything. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when they've offended you. When you have a problem with what they have going on, you need to go to them and you need to give them a full report of how that's affecting you. And they need to see it. And prayerfully, they'll change their mind about the way that they're making you feel. And they'll walk away from the contract because there's a third step. Rebuke, repentance, and then what's the final, what's the final, final way and the right way of doing it? Forgiveness. You know what that means? To remit. To erase the debt. The agreement expires. See all these terms in there? Here's what it means. Let me show you what that's going to cost you. They look at that and they go, Oh, I don't want to pay that price. And then you help them. We dodged that one. That's forgiveness. 
And it's gone. It's off the table. There is no contract. We tore it up. Let's not talk about it again. You remember that time? No, I don't remember it. I've taken your sin. Every little thing that you could walk into that would cost you. Jesus said, I paid for it. I remitted that. I ripped that up. Every inch of your sin that the devil will put in front of you. I took care of it. I forgave you. Every contract that the devil puts in front of your face, Jesus faithfully forgave. Huh. Whatever facts and figures you drafted for the rebuke, tear them up. Whatever knowledge it took, whatever relationship equity it took for you to sit down with that person that offended you, after you get done walking them through it, don't hold it over their head if they choose to repent. That is the final nail in the coffin. Let it die. Ephesians 4.32, why is that? Why, why would we do that? Why wouldn't we continue to bring those things up? Here's why. Ephesians 4.32, and be ye kind, one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. You see, when we see what he's done for us, it's easier for us to do it for others. Go to Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, if you have your Bible, verse 24. I want to show you this. This is an interesting take, and it's going to lead us into our, our landing strip here of how the disciples say, basically, we, we really need help with this, Jesus. How are we going to do it? Hebrews 11 is the faith chapter. Remember, what does he say there in our text? The disciples turn back and they say, Jesus, increase our faith. I know I'm bouncing around a little bit, Brandon, I'm sorry. They say, increase our faith, right? So how do we get our faith increased? How do we get to that point? Just to be honest, can you be honest this morning? How many of you, you know, this could be difficult to do, Pastor Matt. It could be difficult to sit down and have that conversation. It could be difficult to have that conversation show them the light of day, them tear up the contract, them walk away, and me put that thing in my drawer. You know what I'm saying. Well, yeah, you tore it up, you walked away, and we're going to remember that I helped you. That's not how, we're, we're here to be Christ-like. Forgive like Christ forgave you. How do we do that? Anybody else see a problem with that? Like actually executing it? Anybody? Okay, there's three of you that are with me. I see a problem. It's hard. Here's what they say. The, the disciples said, increase our faith. So we go to the faith chapter, Hebrews 11, verse 24, a famous guy. Verse 24, it says, let's go to 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child. And they were not afraid of the king's commandment. I don't have time to get into the story. But by faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Moses knew who he was. He knew that he was an Israelite. Choosing rather, watch this, to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a while. You got a choice to make. Here's the problem. You're making the same mistake. When you choose not to rebuke, when you choose to not work it out, 
When you choose to not lay it on the table and work through these things, you're choosing the season of sin. You're choosing to lack faith instead of live in your faith. Look at it. Esteeming the, oh, esteeming the reproach of Christ. Greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he had respect under the recompense of the, what's the word? Reward! Put a reward on it. Put a cost. To rebuke something is to say, this is what it's going to cost. And Moses found himself in this quandary, in this paradigm, in this situation where he said, oh my goodness gracious, my mom sent me to live with the Egyptians and now I've become of age. I can continue in prosperity. I can continue as an Egyptian. I can continue in the world, so to speak, and live a great life with many riches. Or I can lay that aside and find more worth in suffering with Jesus than the riches of the world. You'll live in your life for a while, but to be honest and suffer a broken relationship for a season will feel better in the long run, I guarantee you. He waited. He, he understood what the cost was, and Moses said, I choose to suffer the reproach of Christ. Instead of the riches of Egypt. Oh, by faith. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood. Lest that should have destroyed the firstborn. Should touch them by faith they passed through the Red Sea. As by dry land which the Egyptians is saying to do were what? Drowned. In the end, in the end, Pharaoh, ten plagues. Pharaoh, here's the contract. Pharaoh, this is what your sin is going to cost you. Did he not rebuke him? Did he not lay it out? Did he not go before him? Did he not try to walk him through it? Did he not try to say, this is how you serve the great Lord of, of the Most High God? And Pharaoh said, I will not, I will not, I will not, I will not. Rejected, rejected, rejected. Fine, get out of here. Moses walked across on dry land. Pharaoh and the Egyptians drowned. It is so vitally important that we learn to forgive. It is so vitally important that we learn to do it the right way. Because if we don't, if we don't, there's going to be eternal implications. He said back in our text, as I land the plane, Right here in, in verse number five. And the apostle said unto the Lord, increase our faith. When they heard this, they immediately asked God to increase their faith. Jesus tells them to lean into the faith through humility, which is commanded for them to do as it's reasonable. And we already talked about that. Jesus says, if you're, if you're my servant, let's just go that far into the context. If I've, if I've paid your way, listen, church, if I have Ephesians 4 forgiven you, it's only reasonable for you to reciprocate this and understand that when, when Moses, when the rubber met the road, Moses didn't get there based on what he saw. He got there based on what he didn't see. That's faith. He could not trust in what he saw. He had to lean into faith. 
Matthew 6, 14 through 15. If, for if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Listen, church, forgiven people forgive. Forgiven people forgive. Here's your takeaways. The unseen hand of God will do the work. Remember that. The unseen, the faith, the disciples said, how am I going to do this? Increase our faith. Increase the unseen. Increase the peace that you and only you can give me within. There is a peace that passes all understanding that will keep your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. The unseen hand of God will do the work. I don't know if I can talk him through this. You're right, you can't. Philippians 1.6, he can't. He will perform. Number two, it's only my reasonable service to perform, to perform this duty. Just when you, in your mind, say, uh, uh-uh. You're the servant that's stepping out of line. You're the servant that's looking at the master saying, go make me some ramen noodles. I've had a rough day. Jesus is like, yo, I gave you the ramen noodle factory when I died on the cross. You had a rough day? I had a rough 33 and a half years on this earth. You want to talk again? Go forgive them. You understand what I'm saying? But y'all, y'all too busy being coddled. Just like you do with your own kids. Oh, go ahead, honey. You can afford it. You got this. Honey, get the checkbook ready. We're going to have to bail him out 10 ways to Friday on this one. He thinks he can afford a $350,000 house. Oh, I'm sorry, that's how you raise your kids? Uh, That's not how God raises his. I think it says, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. See, the problem is, is we form some very terrible habits in our relationships. We lie to people just to keep the peace. Uh Uh-huh. But then God looks at you and says, But you can't forgive them. Why is that? I forgave you. I held up my end of the bargain. You had a little bit of faith, just a little bit, and I came running. We love the story of the prodigal son, right? But we're living in non-resourceful older brother land, church. Stop bailing your kids out. Stop paying for something that they cannot afford. Some of y'all got to get this through your heads. At what point in time, I'm being a little rough here, but This is my older youth pastor coming out. Stop. You're not teaching them anything. You're teaching them to avoid their problems. God forgave you. Why can't you forgive others? Because you're using sinful tactics to repair a relationship that only needs forgiveness. And you only get to biblical forgiveness through repentance, through proper rebuke. You can't buy your way out of it. I'm sorry. He's already paid the price. You're standing there at the table trying to give the waiter money. I just want a pet. And they're like, you can't pay twice. It's done. It's been paid for. You can leave your money on the table. I mean, we'll find a way to (laughs) make sure it disappears, but it's already been paid. Church, we got to get better at this. Can you agree? Matthew 5, therefore, if thou bring a gift to the altar, and thou rememberest that thy brother have ought against thee, Leave there thy gift before the altar. Go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother. And then come and offer your gift. 
This is not a church for you to feel better about yourself, for you to come bring your offerings, for you to come bring your tithes, and for you to get your spiritual data boy. I don't care about your gift. Leave the gift, please, leave it. <laughs> a few of you got it. <laughs> leave the gift, go repair your relationship first, then come back and give it. What's most important, Jesus says, is the relationships between one another. If our relationships, the foundation of who we are and how we do church and how we love one another, if that's destroyed, what do we have? We have nothing. What do you have with your kids? Do you just have this exchange? And if that exchange stops, the love stops? I think we should get back to doing relationships the right way. 1 Peter 4, 8, and above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves. Oh, I love this. For charity shall cover the multitude of sins. If we lead with love in this, you'd be surprised how it's like God worked it out before you even got to the table. Charity covers a multitude. They'll find more love in you telling the truth than you bailing them out. And then 15, 20, 30 years down the road looking at you going, Man, you never showed me how to do life the right way. Every head bowed, every eye closed.